Welcome to Sacred Realms. It's a great day in Hyrule, y'all. Welcome to Sacred Realms, a Zelda retrospective podcast for the final time in season eight of this show. I'm your host, Lyndon Willoughby, joined by the recap episode brain trust of my co-host, Matt Willoughby, and returning favorite, the mustachioed wonder himself, Mike, the detective maker, gents. Good evening. Indeed. Tis, tis a wonderful evening, Sir Lyndon. Tis, tis, indubitably. It's a little chewy outside. It's kind of nasty out here right now. Yeah, actually. it feels really gross. It's uh, it's unpleasant in many ways. I've never heard humidity called chewy before. I, uh, Marilyn said that today, and I didn't really like. I understood via context what she meant, but I'd never heard that before. And now you've said it. I feel like so, you slurp it, not chew it. Agreed. It's, it feels thick, it's like a milkshake, like T H I C C. Oh, two C's, two C's thick oh, out here. I don't here. know if that's kind of podcast, Matt. It's not that kind of podcast. It's definitely not that kind of night. This is uh, this is way less enticing than everything you're saying right now. Um, it's not great, but you know what? We made highballs and we're having stogies and we're going to have some good conversations. So it's going to be a fun time regardless. Um, we chose to live in this here, Texas, is what we did. So, you know. We did and we shall. Yep. I mean, chose is a little bit of a strong word. We're just close to all of our family and are not willing to move away from that. So, you know. I guess kind of chose, but eh, yeah, I don't know. It's fine. We're here and uh, it's going to be a great episode. It is, and it's a great game. And like, honestly, TIE Fighter. Yeah, you can cut that out. Um, I think, you know, we were chatting a little bit prior to uh, going Mike's hot and I think we've all got some very positive things to say. So um, looking forward to a really good recap episode, uh, probably not as eventful as our Wind Waker recap episode, which got some people up in arms, but still should be uh, eventful. I feel like our opinions on this one are going to be interesting, but uh, maybe just, yeah, a little bit more benign than uh, <laughs> like what, what we got into. I with feel like they weren't Wind even Waker. that outrageous, but that's just my personal opinion. Well, that's why we voted the way we voted. Indeed. But uh, I'm detective positivity on this. I was outraged. <laughs> yes we know as and was much of our cared. discord <laughs> <laughs> thanks guys i love you and again this is our ranking so Best everybody else's opinions don't matter well i care about other people's opinions what do you not on right not now? for our ranking it oh, okay. doesn't well that's fair that's that's, fair. that's okay. all i'm saying all right, is that right, for right, okay. our list okay. but just to clarify everybody is entitled to their opinion absolutely rankings. i i i do not begrudge anybody their ranking of zelda games even if they put zelda 2 as their favorite like fine mike's you, getting you, everyone you. all set up to uh vote a link between worlds over breath of the wild on his personal <laughs> list right now didn't Sam no, say no? That's not what we're doing. I'm just saying it's coming in hot, guys. <laughs> Didn't Sam say that she put it? No, it was like under Breath of the Wild, no, but it was no. like top I think, three. I think Sam said it was like in her top three, but yeah, it was not. A, but not, still, not top three. One. That is insane. Oh, That's yeah. very high. That is the that is the highest of any anybody that we've talked to so far. Um, really stiff competition, kind of that high up on the list. But again, this is the wonderful thing about having subjective opinions, especially when they relate to things that are all objectively good, right? You know. That's fair. Yeah. So nothing but good options here. Regardless, it is a rank and recap episode. We are here to wrap up our thoughts on A Link Between Worlds 
before our, our four week journey into a wonderful new experience with tears of the kingdom, Matt, holy crap. Yes. We are three days away. Well, as of this recording, we're five days away, but as of the, right. Uh, right episode going live yeah. three days yes uh wow we are literally on its doorstep and um it is going to be so much fun i am so excited um i'm very curious to see what our season our mini season is going to look like uh because we don't even know like we know it's going to be kind of a free form freewheeling discussion with a couple of different guests but like structure no idea what are we going to talk about i don't know Plot, characters, etc. It's going to be great. We do know that episode one is going to be Jackson, Matt, and myself. And we're going to be talking about the introductory hours of the game. So, again, we need to sort of even, like, define a little bit more past that what that even is. But we'll, sure. get, we'll get that done. We'll, we'll get it done in time. It's going to be great. So, as the three brothers embark on this new quest... Who holds the Triforce of Wisdom, Power, and Courage? That, I was actually going to ask the same thing. I was, I was like, so I think we agreed last time that mine would be that of power. And Lyndon, I think you said you wanted courage. I can't remember if I was courage or wisdom. Y'all are giving Jackson wisdom. That is the other piece of that puzzle, yes. <laughs> well, he is the embodiment of uh, demise and <laughs> returns. <laughs> He keeps visiting his curse upon us. Well, he would have power, but I think it's shifted in this uh, particular Triforce. Yeah. Do we, two pieces of power? That seems like a very unbalanced Triforce. No, eh. he's, he's still uh, the dark wisdom. Uh, he's the dark side of the... Got it, got it. Okay. He's got the low Rulean Jackson Triforce. Jackson is Yuga. <laughs> oh, no. You want to paint me like one of your... <laughs> Jackson's not artistic enough for that. Like one of your low Rulean girls. <laughs> uh, Jackson will probably listen to this episode, so I want to just go on record and say uh, we love Jackson very much and we're very excited that he's back on the podcast on a regular basis. We do. Love you, Jackson. <laughs> you're not evil. No, we don't. We don't think you're evil. You're great, buddy. You're great. No. Uh, anyway, lots of very exciting times coming up. So we'll be more specific about what exactly we're going to be talking about in terms of like, is what's the cutoff? How many hours did we play? If there's like a easily definable spot where we stopped playing, then we'll be specific about those things too. So wait for communications on that. Again, keep it locked to our social channels. I don't think we're going to have time to get that information edited into this episode. Like I don't right. think it's going to be worth going back and dumping it in after the fact. So um, just keep it locked to our Instagram, our Twitter, um, and Discord for those of you who are already on there. And we will keep you up to date as we have more information. Gatsby agrees. Gatsby uh, heartily agrees. He's very excited for Tears of the Kingdom. The as producer well. has weighed in. <laughs> the pup deucer. The, the pup deucer. The pup deucer has weighed in. <laughs> there you go, buddy. We love you and appreciate you. Okay. Uh, so, with that out of the way, I don't think any other preamble is required. Do y'all want a housekeeping this thing and then just get right into our final thoughts and feelings here? I, I should real real quick before we do that. I should just I should get back to Mike real fast. Oh yeah, that's probably a good idea. And just say, hey, it's been a few weeks since we caught up with you. Um, maybe maybe just kind of give us a rundown on what your what what end game of a link between worlds was like for you. Okay, so I was keeping track of it not at all for the first couple of weeks that y'all were playing. I then borrowed Jackson's nintendo ds and cranked out about the first half of the game in a day while we watched formula one i then had to give it back to jackson and i recently cracked uh cranked out the last half uh in the last couple of days so i i did listen to y'all's 
podcast from last week and you had said that doing it in the short snippets was kind of frustrating and kind of interrupted your flow. Mm-hmm. I think I might've found it more enjoyable because I knocked out big chunks at a time. Yeah. Uh, but I had a blast and then I stayed up late like a teenager who doesn't have responsibilities or to be at work at six in the morning last night and beat the game. So it's fantastic. <laughs> we appreciate your sacrifice of the late night. Did, did we awaken your inner child? Yes, that my inner child was awake last night and my grumpy 64-year-old version of myself was awake this morning. At <laughs> Which one are we getting right now? Both. Is, uh, the the middle, grumpy middle ground? grumpy 64-year-old Mike in the room with us right now? That's my secret. I'm always grumpy. <laughs> <laughs> That's fair. Yeah. Okay. There, yeah. What a legend. <laughs> all right, y'all. Well, thanks for catching us up real quick, Mike. Of course, we're going to talk more specifically about all that stuff here in just a minute. Let's go ahead and get the housekeeping out of the way, then dive right into it. If you didn't know, Sacred Realms is a weekly re-examination of The Legend of Zelda one little slice at a time. Sacred Realms drops every Wednesday and is available on all major podcast networks. Every week, we play a new section of a Zelda game. Then we sit down here to talk and to drop our hot takes. If that sounds fun to you, please head over to Apple Podcasts, hit that subscribe button, and be sure to leave us a review. Five-star reviews are greatly appreciated, and they have a chance to get a shout-out here on the show. If you want more Sacred Realms in your life, you can head over to patreon.com slash sacredrealmspod to get access to our Discord channel, write in listener mail, vote on what game we play next, Phantom Hourglass in this instance, and so much more. Additionally, one of the benefits that Master Sword patrons and above get is that we read their names every week here on the show. Those legendary individuals are Connor, Shepherd Street, Matthew, Chris, Daniel, Fallout 907, Kelso, Tiffany, The Star, Daxel, Patrice, Stephanie, Darknuck, Brian, George, Mike, Dylan, Lenny, Melanie, Kolku, Aiden, Rowan, Josh, Nick, Dante, Gep, Brittany, Davey, Haru, The Mighty, Derek, Albert, Mark, Andy, Cameron, Ben, Daniel, Nick the underscore TV, Travis, Christian, Jonathan, Hyrule Interviews, aka Max Nichols, Garrett, Andrew. You are the most legendary of individuals, and we would break the dimensional plane into an alternate version of our world, only to later save it with any one of you at any time. Yeah, sure, I'm down for that. That sounds like a fun adventure. I thought that sounded like a good time. But, with all that being said, we've got some game to talk about. One last thing before we get into that. I want to shift the tone for one second. I need to offer some sincere uh, and heartfelt thanks to a lot of you, um, the folks who are in our Discord channel, excellent community, truly just a, a wonderful community of people. Um, we've kind of had the pleasure of you know being there with some of these people through a lot of different stuff. Ever since we spun the community up, we talk about a lot of Zelda, of course, but um, we've all become friends in addition to that, talking about you know personal life stuff and completely off-topic things. It's it's really been a great community. Um, I would like to thank all of the members of our Discord channel uh, this past weekend who, uh, upon seeing that we had had a uh, mass shooting event very close to where y'all know we live, um, check in on us and uh, specifically come in and ask and make sure that everything was okay. Um, thankfully, it was. We were uh, we were very close by. It's a place we know really well. Uh, it was a very somber day, and um, it felt uh, it felt very close in a way that a lot of them haven't. Um, but uh, definitely not not the best day that we've ever had. But the support that we got from y'all, um, the concern that we felt, Matt and I appreciated it uh, so very much. Y'all will never know. Um, 
really, you guys are great, and we we appreciate you more than we could ever say. Absolutely, uh, seconded, and uh, you know, it was definitely a hard hard day for both of us. Um, seeing a place that we grew up with be affected in such uh, an atrocious way. Um, we're grateful that neither of us were injured. No, no one we know personally, uh, but those who were affected by this tragedy are in our thoughts and prayers. And um, more than that, uh, you know, we've kind of dedicated to doing more than just thinking and praying. And I would encourage everybody, if this affects you the way that it has affected us to do the same. Um, don't just think and pray, but do go vote, go be involved. So thank you everybody for reaching out. And uh, we appreciate y'all. Absolutely. Uh, Discord crew, y'all are the real MVPs. Seriously, this has been one of the brightest spots of this entire experience, right? Absolutely, bar none. Making the podcast is incredible. It's a fun time. It's never gotten old. Um, I would say that a huge chunk of the enjoyment has come from the Discord ever since we spun that up. Absolutely. Especially talking with all these people in the lead up to so many exciting things within this fan community, right? Getting ready for Tears of the Kingdom, you know, getting ready to tackle a uh, a game that is not necessarily very popularly regarded in the canon of Zelda games and Phantom Hourglass, right? Um, you know, just just having this group of friends um, has really been incredible. So thank you to our Discord community. Um, don't know what we would do without you. Amen. There you go. All right, y'all. Well, let's go ahead and get into Not the Sacred Realms Rundown. We've put that on the shelf for a few weeks, a few weeks longer than we actually normally do. As it turns out, uh, the Sacred Realms Rundown will not be back for another five weeks from this episode. However, what we have in its place today is the Sacred Realms Recap. That is, of course, a six-part analysis where we break down this game into individual categories, talk about its successes, its failures, high points, low points, and everything in between. Part one of the Sacred Realms Recap is our discussion about the plot in which we also discuss the main characters of this game. And here is going to be a really fun one, y'all, because I'm going to go ahead and say it now. I think that the strongest thing that this game has to offer is its plot and the story that it told. Now that we know what the ending is, now that we know what this has all been building towards, I think that this game has an incredibly strong story. Matt and I have already talked about it a little bit, so I'm going to bounce it over to Mike now, who has uh, cracked into that even just a little bit more recently than we have. Mike, how did you feel about the story of A Link Between Worlds? Well, Lyndon, I felt fantastic. So again, I kind of broke the game up into two or three kind of big chunks for play. And I love the way it started off. Um, kind of like you know, still the goofy kind of Zelda. Here's how you're getting started. And it really kind of throws you quickly into, hey, there's another dimension. There's paintings that you can go into the wall. And it uses that mechanic that it introduces throughout the whole game in a very satisfying way. Um, as you go and you build up your sages, some of them you have previous relationships with through meeting them. Um, and then you get to go save them, interact with them, continuing through on. Uh, but then you've got Hilda, who every time you go to a new area is coming in there and speaking to you, building some kind of tension. Because like Matt had said in the last episode, I can't say that I called uh, this chick's evil, but I definitely knew something was afoot. Um, and that there was going to be more to it toward the end. And the fact that she was talking to Zelda's painting, I'm over here thinking, how did she get Zelda's painting? Why is it in her office? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, seriously. And so I knew that that was going to come up a little bit more. Um, I really liked the progression throughout till you get to the end. 
They had a couple big kind of heroic moments whenever you've saved all the sages and there's that extended uh, sequence where it kind of stair steps all the sages was really cool. And you talk to each one on the way up and then you go in to fight the final boss with a pretty satisfying dungeon. Um, that fight was fantastic for me. Probably my one of my favorite, if not my favorite, 2D Zelda bosses. And then the ending, what, maybe five-minute cutscene that we get? Yeah, it was it's, long. It's a lot of cutscene for a top-down. Oh, it's a chunk cutscene, and I enjoyed the, the crud out of that because I'm not used to getting that kind of cutscene in a 2D, minus maybe uh, Link's Awakening. Even Link's Awakening, I don't think, had something that really kind of stacks up against this just in terms of length and the way that it tells a story. Um, this is kind of like... A, a miniature version of what Skyward Sword does with its cutscenes is kind of what's going on here, you know? Yeah. And so I, I really liked that it had a pretty extended cutscene. I will tell you that you can tell how much I enjoyed this cutscene by the fact that it was 11.30 p.m. whenever I defeated Yuga and got to this cutscene. And I'm sitting there. My wife is asleep beside me. I am pining for slumber. And yet I stayed awake and enthralled by this all the way through. And whenever uh, Zelda does her little, we're thinking this, you know, we we certainly have the same wish at this point. I'm like, hell yeah, Zelda, we got the same wish. Let's yes, we do. Thing. And uh, so, yes, that was actually kind of a, a nice, I would say, feelings moment in a 2D Zelda. Well, and that's kind of, I'm glad to hear you say that because Matt and I both said in last week's episode that we did feel emotionally affected in some way by by this cutscene and by the resolution of this story, which I think, once again, is a huge credit to the way that it's portrayed because it very easily could have gone the other way and felt uh, less substantial, you know, more goofy. They could have gone more goofy and they also could have gone much darker with that kind of dark tone of the game. But I like that they kind of skewed it back toward a more lighthearted, wholesome ending. And yeah, you know, Hilda obviously kind of bad. Um, I mean, did some questionable things. Probably mm-hmm. some people got hurt. Definitely but some then people got hurt. she does make her choice at the end. And she could have just kind of stuck to her guns and been like, you know what? It's I'm either going out or I'm saving low rule. But she had that kind of, um, I don't know if epiphany is the right word, but she had that that one-on-one, that heart-to-heart with uh, Ravio and saw the light, which he fulfilled his duty by helping her. Yep. And then she comes back and makes that sacrifice, and that sacrifice directly achieved her goal that she tried to accomplish through anger. So I thought that was all pretty awesome. I thought there was a good smattering of other things mixed in. Um, I really enjoyed Ravio as a character. I know we're not doing a, a what's it called, Z-targeting. But um, well, actually, Z targeting is kind of like absorbed into this section in the recap. So you go nuts. Oh, I'm gonna I'm gonna target Ravio's both ears, <laughs> <laughs> both the bunny ears on Ravio. And so my so this goofy little rabbit boy comes in there, which I don't know why he's a rabbit boy, but you know, go ham. It's a callback to a link to the past, Link becoming a rabbit, rabbit I, in I, the mirror world. I yeah. had thought of that, but uh, so he. He turns into his little rabbit boy, comes over there, wants to sell you stuff, which he's already got. So apparently he just like had all these items, achieved a pretty good amount of things in his world before he decided to skip town, which is pretty awesome. He could have stolen from like the Museum of Hyrule or something, too. (laughs) But I'm wondering if he had like his his bets hedged because he was selling you stuff at a pretty exorbitant price. And if his whole goal overall was to go back and like convince Hilda to not do bad things. Maybe he didn't need to like sell you everything and could have 
you know, given it to you or maybe discounted you as the hero of time. But no, he gets his whole bag of rupees. So I wonder if she had said, nah, I'm still going to be evil. If he would have been like, peace, going back to Hyrule. <laughs> I, think he, I think he was hedging his bets so that if you failed, he was still going to live the good life in Hyrule. Yeah, he's yeah, still he's, just going to like live out the rest of his in life in house. luxury. <laughs> yeah. Rabio's over here like, look, y'all, I really want this all to work out. But here's the deal. Just in case it doesn't, I don't want to say that I've already drawn the lines for an expansion on Link's house. I'm going to add a sauna. We're going to put in a hot tub. Definitely a second story. Yeah. Yeah. Media room. So any question, I have a question on this. Are there any uh, Easter eggs in the low rule version of Link's house that point to it being Ravio's? No, it's an abandoned house. Well, but there, there is a journal in there. Oh, there is? Yeah. I didn't read the journal. There's yeah. a journal in there that you can go read and it does have certain clues. I forget if the journal is explicitly like, this is Ravio's journal or not, but it's, I, there's stuff in there that's like it very much pointing towards you know, this was Ravio's house. If I remember correctly, I didn't actually read it in this playthrough. Ravio's journal, day hundred, day 437. I have become the rabbit. <laughs> <laughs> the rabbit is me. Cool, Ravio. <laughs> We're happy for you, bud. Yeah. No, I agree. I thought Ravio was a good character. I think overall, the character roster in this game is spectacular. Um, Again, I like it's it's just, I think this is an area where it is a little bit more directly comparable to Link's Awakening just because Link's Awakening is one of those games where it's like just known for its crazy cast of characters, right? Um many of whom are even more like wild than the ones in this game. But I think that uh I think we get a little bit more familiar with most of these characters than the residents of Koholint Island, right? Um, especially the sages, right? Th there's some really nice things that are happening here. Uh, you know, we talk a lot about how in A Link to the Past specifically, once you get into the back half of that game, you get the Master Sword, and then you just don't really touch in with the plot again until you beat the game. You save some maidens, right? But you, right. Don't, you don't know them, and they all kind of look the same. And um, so <laughs> there, there's just... There's just not much to it. But I think the thing that's nice here is that even though it's still true, there's no major cutscene that takes place between mid game and end game. You are checking in with everything, both via Hilda interludes and getting some like emotional investment and satisfaction in like, I am saving these people that I've met before. I think that's a great trick. And like each of the sages talks to you as you save them and you can have secondary courses of dialogue with each of these sages. And it's, it always serves to further them as a character or their relationship with you or their relationship with somebody else that you probably know. Uh, more specifically, uh, Irene talking about her grandmother and asking you to go tell her grandmother that she's safe. And same thing with um, Gully, and his, Gully and, and his parents. Um, Hold on. Stop the presses. Oh, now what? You ready for this, Matt? Sure. Oh. We just got our download numbers for last week's episode. Oh, no. What is it? 1,700 downloads last yeah! week. Yeah. Go, people. You guys are awesome. And that's not even including YouTube. Thanks, y'all. Yeah, you guys rock. That makes me feel nice. We also passed 75,000 lifetime downloads last week. So uh, creeping towards 100. There you go. Um, that's like a lot of people. That's a ton of people. That's a lot of people. Noise. Very good. Where was I? Anyway, taking your shirt off. <laughs> I, it, it's hot out here, and we're not a uh, we're not a video medium, so I can do whatever I want. I wish we were. I wish we were not. I'm leaving this in, Matt, shirtless. Okay, fine. Yes, I am. Sue me. I won't. Okay, I'm, good. I'm, I like it. 
Thank you. I'm glad. It's really for you, Mike. It's just for you. Anyway, all that aside, uh, I, th- I think the cast of characters is excellent. I think this is probably the strongest uh, characterization, cast of characters, and emotional investment that I have had in a top-down Zelda game, uh, I think, across the board. Um, as much as I love Link's Awakening, I didn't play it as a child, so I don't have the same nostalgia for it that you know Lyndon and a lot of folks in my own generation and Linda's generation have for Link's Awakening. So this one really hits a, uh, a good spot for me of doing characterization very, very well. And I thought it was one of the strongest points of the game. Um, and I agree with Lyndon's earlier uh, assertion that this is probably the strongest top down plot we've gotten. And I think that, um, I hope that that was conveyed a little bit last week in the plot recap because I, I think it was really phenomenal and the way that they tied everything up was excellent. It put a very good bow on it. Um, even the credit scenes that were rolling while the credits were going, seeing each of our characters go back and yeah. you know reintroduce themselves into high rule or low rule as necessary. And uh, it was just really, really good. And, and you know, the thing is, the end of the game, we, we knew was going to be kind of a make or break moment in a lot of ways because – if the ending of the game wasn't pulled off in a unique um, and successful way, then I was concerned that – or <laughs> I say I was concerned. I knew how the game was going to end. But I think there, there, there could be a concern that the game was going to be overall veering just a little too closely to exactly what happened in A Link to the Past, right? So, like, we've already got a reuse of the overworld and a lot of the same locations and themes, and even Low Rule is very similar to the dark world of A Link to the Past, right? So the, I think the thing is, if you're going to do that, then you have got to have a strong ending to the story, and it's got to tread ground that A Link to the Past's ending doesn't. It's got to be something unique from that. And I think it succeeded in doing that. I think it did as well. And one of the things that I'll, I'll tip my hat off to on this game is it had that amount of story with what I would say is probably minimal input for most of it. So you've got some dialogue here, a kind of compelling character sprite um, with like a little, I mean, with Irene and, you know, the broom that takes you places, channeling your inner Quidditch. Um, I mean, you've got her, she's entertaining, but you don't get to interact with her that much. And I end up kind of getting endeared to her character, you know, with her grandma and everything. And then a couple other characters, uh, like Ghoulie, when his parents are so worried about him, but it's not that much story. But when you culminate that all together and tie that up with that beautiful bow that was the end game, then it really pulled it off in a way that I was kind of surprised I enjoyed the story so much. Yeah, I I, I agree. I I don't think I have too much more to add here. It, do, it does a lot with a little. Yeah. And, and, you know, we say that it does a lot with a little, but this does have more input. Like you were saying, Lyndon, it has more input than any other top-down Zelda I can think of. It has the interstitials with Hilda. It has the conversations with the sages. It has Hilda telling you what's going on when you enter a new area of low rule. It's got, you know, cutscenes, fairly lengthy ones. And um, so it, it definitely has more story input than most top-down Zeldas, but it still feels minimal based on what we've had recently. Wind Waker, Skyward Sword, Breath of the Wild, which are just way more plot focused due to the nature of the 3d gaming experience yeah, and, that they and have which, and which have cutscenes in each major area of the game right yeah for sure yeah I, I, and i think 
it does it very, very well. Yeah. Yeah. So let's talk about some characters here. The first one that I actually want to get to is uh, one that we have established a few seasons ago is worthy of being considered a character as we kind of analyze these games. Groose! I wish it was Groose. <laughs> I, I need more Groose Damn, in my I life. Damn, I wish Groose was in this game. That would have been fantastic. Um, kind of like Dompe. He's just like, he just shows up all over the place, right? <laughs> I love that. Yeah. yeah. Um, no, I was going to say the Kingdom of Hyrule has <laughs> as a character, right? And uh, so this is one of the ones where I think it's so interesting to talk about because, again, and when I say the Kingdom of Hyrule, I mean the world of this game, right? And I'm not, you know, I want to be able to talk about low rule as well. I feel like with Hyrule, there's a lot less to say just because, again, this is the Link to the Past map. And e- even for those of us who aren't as familiar with that map as others, um, you know, y'all two had only played that game once before, right? So it's not, I don't think there's that level of familiarity as a lot of people have. But uh, still, it is something, it is a place that we visited before with some alterations and updates. But then we do have Low Rule, which while technically distinct from the dark world of A Link to the Past, is still similar in a lot of ways. Matt, I'm going to bounce it to you first. How did you feel about the the play space of this game, the overworld? I liked it a lot. I thought it was very well used. And I think the main thing I liked about this overworld was the way that they used the dimensional rifts traveling back and forth to help you explore new areas. And the way that that happens was a very Metroidvania style, much like uh, a lot of other top down Zelda games. But instead of using items, it was using a mechanic that you get you know, early on in the game. And it was used so effectively that there were so many secrets that you had to go back and forth between. Um, I'm especially thinking about the, the sand palace where the entire lead up through misery Meyer, through, uh, the desert of Hyrule is just back and forth and back and forth and having to, uh, maneuver correctly through those dimensional rifts to access new places. And I, I thought that the interplay that they were able to have between the two, overworlds was just excellent Um, they definitely felt much more closely meshed together in some ways than the dark world and hyrule did yeah in a link to the past which is interesting because like we've mentioned before you can more freely travel between those two maps than you can once you get the magic mirror yeah right yeah for sure but i still feel like there was a much more intentional interplay between them yeah, I, I totally agree. And um, it just worked really well for me. And aside from that, um, Hyrule was was good um, and low rule was good. Like by themselves, they were good. I wouldn't say that they were excellent, but when they when you connect them in the way that they were connected, they become better for it. They're they're more than the sum of their parts. Right. Together, they were pretty excellent. For sure. As divided, they might not be. I really liked this version of the alternate world low rule. Mm-hmm. Um, from the symbolism with like the upside down Triforce, especially Hilda's staff and stuff. I loved Hilda's staff. Zelda pretty, needs one. It was awesome. You know, she definitely needs one. Zelda needs a staff. If she doesn't have that in the next Super Smash Brothers, I'm going to write Nintendo a strongly worded letter. As you should. I, yes, indeed. Um, but I really liked the going back and forth. And I liked that you needed to kind of fiddle with it to explore. Like some of the areas because of those giant rifts, you can't get to until you find the right access point in Hyrule. Mm -hmm. And I thought that was pretty entertaining because although I beat my head against the wall a couple times, overall it was satisfying to find those different parts. Um, And then I like that it explains that more at the end. I'm over here like, I got so many chasms, low rule. Yeah. F your chasms. And then, well, we lost our Triforce, things are falling apart. I'm like, 
Oh, like literally falling apart, not like figuratively. Yeah, yeah, no, it's you are very literally you know, <laughs> crumbling, crumbling. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, I can explain your chasms now. Um, yeah, I think the other thing I really liked about the exploration here was the utilization of the Ravio items to open up new portals to both sides. So like it did a cool th- combination of both exploration via wall merging and dimensional rifts and also opening up more of that via its item system which love or hate the item system it's kind of nice to be able to have all of your items up front like i I don't know that i don't know where i land really on whether or not the lack of dungeon items was a good thing or a bad thing but i do know that like it's for exploration purposes by itself having all of your items out of the gate is a very interesting and i think it was well executed i think this is this is one of the big things that i'm still struggling to figure out as well because i do think in what you're saying on one hand it was a boon to this game and really helped to break it away from what we consider to be the traditional Zelda progression formula, right? And I think that that's a good thing. I I appreciate that kind of experimentation because it helps the series stay fresh. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, talking about dungeons, I don't know. We'll, we'll, we'll talk about that element of it a little bit more in the best dungeon section. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I'm still formulating my thoughts just a little bit, but I, I do think that it was a net positive overall. While you're formulating, Lyndon, I will say that I I actually really enjoyed this item mechanic. So Zelda's had some hit or misses for me. I hate destructible items with a passion. Um, same, brother. Same. I'm going to touch fingers with you. Or fist oh, bump. Fist bump. No, there better. it is. Yeah. yeah. Um, but I hate whenever you spend time getting a cool item only to whack something with it three times and it's gone. Um, I would rather have permanent items. I liked that in this game until you bought it, it could go back, which mm-hmm. was kind of like a cool... I, I'll throw one here real quick just because I can and I'm tooting my horn. Um, I didn't play on hero mode, so I guess it's not that much of a toot. But um, We respect your accomplishments, Mike. Thank you, Lyndon. I did not die a single time during this game. Oh, I'm so proud of you, and Mike. I didn't, didn't even know that until the end when it like pops up and says how many rupees you gathered total, which I had something like 42,000 rupees. I, I only had like 23. Oh, I had a crud ton of rupees. And also, I'm just going to go ahead and uh, this is probably a bloopy trail. I'll wait. But or do you want me to go ahead and do it now? Which one? The dang fairy that makes you toss your life savings to her. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Um, no, you toss some rupees to this gal. She's getting bigger, bigger, and you're like, oh man, we're gonna get something good. I'm gonna get like a fairy companion. I'm gonna get some kind of fairy armor. No, you get a bottle. I've already got four bottles, fairy. Show me something I don't have. Ooh, yeah. I mean, when you put it that way. The fact that there are five bottles available in this game and you have to pay 3,000 rupees. Uh, no, I think it was six. It was three or six. It's three. Okay, whatever. 3,000 rupees to get bottle number five is excessive. Meanwhile, a hobo under a freaking bridge gives you a bottle for no one. <laughs> Just like coming up to see him. Because you talk to him about birds for yeah. a minute. I'll come talk to you about birds twice. How about you give me two bottles and you can go... F yourself, fairy. fairy. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> I was trying to figure out a polite way to put that. But no, I would have murdered the fairy and taken her power. Um, probably on a little dark side. Yeah, I was going to say, you're like you're like the Hyrulean Jafar at this point. <laughs> I've never... Phenomenal <laughs> cosmic <laughs> power! <laughs> space. I'm, we have not had an Aladdin reference yes, yet. Yes! Aladdin reference. <laughs> I also think... I feel bad for some of my fairies because... I I maybe used one fairy ever in that final boss fight with Yuga. So they're all just sitting in your and inventory in my bottle forever for weeks. Just 
No food. Are they still alive? I'm not letting them out to go to the bathroom. <laughs> I didn't even poke any holes in these bottles. They're like Tamagotchis. Like, <laughs> you, you check in on them three weeks later. It is and it's like, like your Tamagotchi died. It's like, you know what? You're in a better place. <laughs> Link, you have died. Alas, all your fairies have also died. They cannot revive you. <laughs> Maybe you should have let him out on walks every once in a while and poked some fish food in there. I don't know. Dark, Something. Man, it's dark. <laughs> anyway, that's uh, that's my two cents. That's <laughs> fair. It's no, fair. I've. God, how did we get off on that ferry? Like, where did we go wrong? Well, I asked about Boopy Trail and then I just kind of ran Went right for it anyway. Lyndon has totally lost his train of thought technically now. on the plot recap. All right, now we're back. I'm gonna get this. I'm gonna get this minecart back on the rails real fast. I'm gonna put two little uh, fans on it like Zelda. The fly it off the track. Woo! There you go. I'm happy that you could do that, Mike. In some ways, it's just appropriate. He's gonna jake that shuttle. I know, real fast. God, this is Star Trek reference there. Um, no. Okay, so the world of Hyrule. Here's here's my thing. I enjoy as much as anybody else going back to a reprised version of a past game's overworld. I think it's fun. I think that it there's like even for me who doesn't have a lot of nostalgia for a link to the past. There's some good feels to be had there, and I did really enjoy it. I think what I what I come away with most on the whole overworld, both low rule and high rule, especially after our conversation with Max, where he posed the question to us, which do you which game do you feel has what, what was the question he asked? Which has a bigger overworld? Yeah, which which overworld feels bigger? Yeah. I still think that both low rule and high rule together feel small in some ways. I have a hard time exactly saying why it's that is. It's the camera is. angle. Uh, uh, so uh, uh, some of it is just the visual presentation, like yeah. the aspect ratio, the amount of screen that you see at any given time. That's definitely a part of it. It's also the chasms. <laughs> sure. And sure. Well, that's fair. I mean, low rule, uh, just like the, the space. It's that just you so can, segmented. Yeah. The space that you can walk physically from one place to the next is much smaller than you have in the dark world. So that's that's a great shout. But I, I don't know. Fast travel. Fast travel is a big part of it, too. I mean, I think both overworlds are good and they are interesting. But I still think that at the end of the day, they feel a bit less expansive than even some other top-down Zelda overworlds that I can remember off the top of my head. Like, Koholint to me, even though Koholint Island is not necessarily... I don't even think it's as big as just this game's Hyrule. It's not, but... The thing about Koholint is you spend the first half of that game without any fast travel and TIE Fighter. So you spend the first half of the game on Koholint Island with no fast travel and also confined to a fairly small section of the map until you get power gauntlets. And then from there, it opens up a lot more of the island, but you're still doing a lot of back and forth. And this is one of the things I talked about with the both the benefit and detractor of fast travel is it reduces the amount of time you spend on foot backtracking between locations. So you you spend less time immersed in the world because you can just very easily or more easily get to where you need to go. But that does make the world feel smaller. Yeah. But I will say because of the stuff that we were talking about earlier in regards to characters, one thing that is really nice to 
that happens here that you don't get in A Link to the Past is the kingdom of Hyrule itself is humanized in a way that it's not in the Super Nintendo game, right? I think that um, this feels like a much more lived-in, functional realm, you know? It's a kingdom. There are people who live in this kingdom. There are towns. There's people outside of the towns going about their livelihoods and you interact with those people in a meaningful way for the most part. Yeah. You had a lot of meaningful interactions. There's a lot of, uh, diversified, uh, mercantile opportunities. And you know, you've got things like the baseball field and, or is that in low rule? That's low rule. Oh, but so, still, I mean, I think, I think good for you. Low rule. I think but, low uh, rule has the same thing, but in a different way, but yeah, keep so going. you've got different things that, like are there for entertainment. You know how you actually can tell that Hyrule's prosperous? The bar is full of happy people. There's that. I was going to say that a man can make a living collecting and selling bees. <laughs> well, there you go. That's a very good point. Yeah, there's a, uh, what are those called? They're not ornithologists. Those are bird people. Um, so he's a, well, entomologists are all bugs. Entomologists, yeah. But I know, I know that bee people have apiaries. Yeah, yeah. Sure. have apiaries. I don't know what you call them other than beekeepers. But also- I found him a golden bee finally. So did I. I had to buy it. He gave me the, oh, I found it. I I found that glowing bee and I caught the crud out of that. I actually chopped my first one up, so I felt a little bad. Sad for you, but then happy for you you found another one. I did not get the bee medallion before beating this game. I got a bee medallion. I got the bee medallion. Check one, Lyndon, zero. Um, But (laughs) anyways. You take those where you can get them. But you know what? If he was buying a property on one of those home makeover shows, his budget would be like 500,000 rupees. Yeah. And everyone's time. like, I'm, he's like, I'm a professional beekeeper and my budget is 500,000 rupees. <laughs> and everybody watching the show goes, how in the <laughs> do you do that? Oh, my wife collects wildflowers. <laughs> this, this man who like lives in a bee costume, lives by himself and just buys and trades in bees is shopping for like a three story penthouse in San Francisco. <laughs> and everyone's like, how? <laughs> Meanwhile, the detective and his nurse wife are looking for a nice box to live in. <laughs> and, and, yeah, and the and the professional business person whose fiance is uh, I love the box that you live in, Mike. <laughs> Thanks, I'm fond of yeah, it. We're, we're still renting because we can't afford to buy. Yeah, that's how it, that's how it goes. You know, I'm, I'm mad at the beekeepers now. <laughs> Same, very mad at this guy, and it's not even his fault. He does not have a corner lot, so there you go. There's your silver lining. That's true. Yeah. Uh, not much of a yard either. It's he's very, a, very close. He's not, he's not on a cul-de-sac. You're on a cul-de-sac. So I, I got things going from a box. <laughs> <laughs> God. Look, my apartment complex is nice, I guess. That's yeah. that's good. Uh, but speaking of, so speaking of low rule, I, I think low rule is nice. In some ways, I do enjoy low rule more than I like the dark world in A Link to the Past. I, I think that low rule in some ways always felt a little bit more dangerous to me. Than the dark world of A Link to the Past, but at the same time having, again, a fun cast of goofy characters, you know, the monster cult comes to mind. Yeah, I think that low rule definitely feels very dangerous. There's just the amount of roaming enemies that can really knock you the hell out early on in the game is is a big part of that. Um, and you're right, the the cast of characters that has that you have meaningful interactions with, the, the mirror blacksmith, the thieves and the thieves hideout the uh townspeople the monster cult like the monster cult isn't so meaningful interaction but like still they are more interaction than you really got in uh in the dark world i feel like and also the fact that the dark world is full of actual monsters not people right i think that's another big part of that the dark world felt more evil i would say low world felt more desperate that, I think that's very accurate. So yeah. On a weird tangent, I'm going to do really quickly just because I know Lynn will appreciate it. Low world to me, I was thinking it felt a lot like 
what's the land where Roland comes from in the Dark Tower series? Oh, oh uh, Gilead. I, I'm thinking of it like Gilead, like used to be prosperous and beautiful. And because of events, it's now just people trying to get by and mutated. And yeah, <laughs> very dangerous. Low rule is like the city of Ludd. Oh, <laughs> man. I don't know if they're quite that bad because they're not hanging people in the streets because of some drums. That monster cult is just one step away. That's true. They're, they're on the doorstep, no doubt. Yeah. Hopefully they're coming back away from that doorstep with the reintroduction of their Triforce, but anyway. So let's talk about some of the characters, main characters of this game. Of course, this is typically Link, Zelda, and Ganon. We're going to have to, you know, shake it up just a little bit more than that. Um, Let's go ahead and start with the one undisputable, you know, uh, connection between all these games. And that is, of course, our hero, Link. I'm going to be Linkus Maximus. Linkus Maximus. I'm going to be quick here. I think that this version of Link falls into the same sort of category as a lot of top-down Links do, right? Which is, it, it, it really is much more of a proxy for the character and just a fun cipher yeah. um, than anything else. I, I don't think top-down Links typically ever develop into anything really more than that. And I don't think that this one is a particular exception. I agree. I think the top-down Link is really the truest version of what the creators of Zelda had in mind. And uh, the quote that I've seen, which I don't even know if it's a real quote or not, where you know Link is the tabula rasa of the player, and like whatever you want Link to be, that is what Link is. Like that is top-down Zelda links are that way. And this one is very similar outside of being a blacksmith apprentice who has a little friend named Gully. Outside of that, everything else is up to your interpretation completely. And you can give him any personality or backstory you want. Agreed. Yeah. Let's talk about low rules version of Link, which is Ravio. A lot more characterization there. We've already touched on Ravio a bit. Uh, I'm sitting over here thinking if we can get this kind of characterization for Ravio, then we should be able to start getting shades of similar characterization in Link in top-down games. Totally agree. Totally agree. And not to the same extent. I don't think, you know, Ravio talks. He talks a lot. He's... He's not the silent protagonist. Like, there are a lot of things that they do with Ravio that would just not fly for Link, right? But that being said, I think, again, going back to how Link is handled in 3D games, Link gets, in those games, has much more of a defined personality, right? Like, in some of them, you've got goofy Link. and some of them, you've got heroic Link. Some of them, you have, you've got brooding Link, you know? Um, he's got shades of a personality, and I, I really think that that's something that, top-down games if we ever get more could definitely start doing um i really like for that reason i think that's one of the main reasons that ravio is such an interesting character because he's presented to us as low rules counterpart to our main character and seeing that juxtaposition in characterization Mm -hmm. is really big and i think that's one of the reasons that he feels so interesting yeah i think like do you do you take away that because Hilda's not the polar opposite of Zelda. So you can't make just a basic inverse relationship, right? To say that, well, Ravio is eager and greedy and uh, very talkative and kind of shady. He so did therefore, take all your rupees. That's true. So therefore, Link is the opposite of all of those things. Like, I don't think you can necessarily say that. Like, I'm very curious to know. I think you can, what I are think the, you can say that you can make a meta statement about that, right? <laughs> like, well, I mean, sure. But like, maybe Link is talkative and goofy. 
but we just don't get that because it's top down Zelda. And I think, but that's also part of what I like about the link being kind of the silent protagonist. Cause so say you're not into the goofy link, like you Mm want to play a more straight laced paladin like I'm here to help link than a goofy link. Sure. You can do that and just kind of project on the strong silent link. If Link had too many dialogue choices, and we, I don't think anyone really wants Link to get into, uh, especially in top down, to where you're like doing dialogue options. And yeah, things. you don't want to drag an Age Origins protagonist, <laughs> which well, I do, but I mean, you know, maybe not not, not with Link. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Not. No, I mean, I always want Dragon Age Origins protagonist, but, like, but you know, but Breath of the Wild Link, you have dialogue options. Yeah, right? Sure. Yeah, and so I think that there there is definitely a space for that, and that was fun for me in, in Breath of the Wild. I kind of like this Link for being the strong, silent Link, and I think that also made the the difference with Ravio so much more stark and kind of fun at the end mm-hmm. because you've had this link you've been projecting on the entire time. Then Ravio pops up with his own kind of really goofy personality and then kind of goes from that goofy rabbit dude <laughs> you've been dealing with the whole game to, Hey, I actually have some real motivations and things behind me than just wanting all your rupees. He put all of his skill points into persuasion and charm and uh, they all came to very good use at the end. Yeah, so so Link of Hyrule is specced into probably strength and dexterity. Yep. Um, so he's a classic fighter. For sure. And then he's probably more of a uh, charismatic bard. Absolutely. Ravio is 100% the bard in, in the party. But uh, so what I want to say about that is that I think that's why I don't get on board with the super absolute tabula rasa link and and i say that because as i was playing this game i did not feel any connection to the character of link and maybe that's just me not getting into the headspace of projecting onto the character like i'm supposed to in quotes but i just don't do that with totally silent protagonists and like even Master Chief in the first couple of games. I was just thinking yeah, about e- that. Even Master Chief in the first couple of games was he was just strong silent type outside of some cutscenes. But those cutscenes were just enough to get you invested into yeah, who I was he say, was. For, for all for all the talk back in the day around Master Chief as the silent protagonist, the Tabula Rasa, I never felt that that was accurate for that no, character. Because you get cutscenes where you get snippets of who he is, how he thinks, how he acts, how he interacts with other characters. And the this pers- link the gets, personality of his relationship with other characters. Yeah, with Cortana. Cor- with, yeah, yeah, with uh, Johnson. Like, all of those things come together. Like, I just want just a little bit. I don't want full fleshed out RPG character link every time. I don't even know if I want that at all. But what I do want is something. I want I want a little bit, just little snippets that help me ground myself in who this character is. All right. I, I agree with the little bit being in there. I want you to t- do an exercise for me here, Matt. Sure. And, and any listener who decides to. Think back to when you first started playing Zelda. What were you playing outside in the backyard with sticks or broom handles? Mm -hmm. I was playing a lot of Zelda. I was playing a lot of Zelda. I think that was easier to do with the kind of silent protagonist Link, the Ocarina of Time Link, who he has some moments, but he's pretty just kind of there. Yeah. Um, But it made it more for, I could pretend to be whatever I wanted to be to be Link with my own motivations. And I kind of did that with Master Chief too. Um, You know, I was definitely that kid out there with like a snorkel pretending it was a, a magnum. <laughs> oh, absolutely. So I think like that's totally fair. What's the, what's the zoom like on that snorkel? <laughs> Hella good. I Hella see, good. I can see all the way across my backyard. <laughs> so like I think that's a really great point. And, and it, it triggers the imagination. I guess that 
since I'm no longer in that phase of my life where I do those things, I guess that's why I'm at where I'm at now. You are, don't? You, are you are you saying are you judging Mike and I for being people who do? No, not at all. I'm just saying I don't. But like if you still are in the realm of picking up a stick, imagining it's a sword and having a fight with it. All right, Mike, go put away the snorkels and the broom handle. We don't have a friendly <laughs> audience here right now. I'm going to put them in my, my costume box. <laughs> and, and maybe that's just something, you know, a piece of my own imagination that I need to reclaim. Maybe that's maybe that's the, the issue there. But I don't know. That's my personal preference where I'm at in my life right now is I want my protagonists to have something that I can latch onto to help me put them in place in their own world. I I hear what you're saying. I think that that is important in some ways, but I think this has now become the reconnect Matt with his inner child podcast. Yeah, I was going to (laughs) say, the the conclusion here is that Matt has some work he needs to do on himself. Uh, Sure. Why not? We'll go with that. Take away. (laughs) I'm just, I'm just, just kidding, Matt. Your, your perspective is valid. Thank you. You know, I'm going to just quick story here because I can. Okay. And he hasn't told me not to yet. Okay. Remember that time in college when me and Lennon came back and we all went to Lowe's or Home Depot and bought wood and, and made we co- we made our own swords? Yes. Yeah. I totally remember you that. You were probably 16 or maybe 17 at that point. Yeah, definitely. And me and Lennon were definitely like juniors in college. <laughs> yeah, y'all were like, y'all were drinking age minimum. Yeah, I, I just got a fence post and used it as a sword. Yeah, you did. You didn't even like do any carving on it. You just I like made a handle. <laughs> Meanwhile, I'm over here trying to make like a one to one replica of like Cloud's Buster Sword, <laughs> which Mike's two by four immediately demolished. Yeah, because you made the blade super thin and you tried to give it a real hilt and like screw the hilt in. And then as soon as it made contact one time, the thin blade splintered completely at the base and just fell apart it's not the size of the sword it's how you use it matt <laughs> i've heard that I, I, yeah <laughs> oh my god wow all right let's move on from ravio which i actually which i actually feel like just served as like an extension of our link observations it's true let's talk about this game's version of zelda and then also hilda matt i'm gonna let you go first here so zelda unfortunately in keeping with many top downs had Basically nothing to do. Uh, I think her intro was kind of strong with getting, you know, setting Link off on the adventure, being involved in the shared dreams that they have, uh, being an involved and competent ruler of her kingdom. Then she gets put in a painting. Nothing, 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 nothing. And then at the very end uh, has, a, I think, a key role to play in Hilda's redemption by not condemning Hilda, by understanding where she's coming from and by sympathizing with Hilda, even when Hilda's putting her own kingdom at risk. So you have this weird uh, bookend of Zelda being a good ruler, Zelda being a, a good uh, character, then just 95% of the game goes by, nothing at all happens with Zelda, and then at the very end, you get really good Zelda again. So it's hard to say that she's a great version of Zelda because it's just that huge gap. But what little bit we do get of Zelda is very, very good. And I really appreciate the way that they brought out the ruler within Zelda, which is not something we get to see very often. Worth mentioning, it's still much more than we get in any other top down that I can think of. For sure. Legend of Zelda, A Link to the the past. Past, I mean, the adventure of Link, she's asleep for the whole thing, right? So it's like, yeah. Um, I I agree with you. I think that there are games that we get that really do right by this character. And the top-down games have 
not managed to to do that so far, in my opinion. Yeah. No, but I, I was thinking exactly what Matt said, bookends. I mean, she had a super strong intro and probably arguably the most strong outro I've seen in a 2D Zelda for sure. For even, sure. Even some of the 3Ds, honestly, in my opinion. I think she had more of an outro than Ocarina of Time Zelda. Probably. Yeah. yeah I mean, yeah, she gives you the bow, which is like her her big mechanism to help you defeat the darkness. And then it's directly her mercy that makes it to where Hilda is redeemed and that the low world's restored. And I will say it's, it's actually, uh, I think a very apt comparison to Ocarina of Time Zelda in some ways. It's not apples to apples, right? Because there's the chic of it all, you know? Um, and chic does do interesting things, but when you're just talking about Zelda in her, in her base form at the end of that game, she does have an emotional moment with Link where she's feeling remorse about the things that have happened, the seven years that he's lost, all of that. I feel like that hits similar ish notes that we get from Zelda in this game, I think it still feels more impactful for me in A Link Between Worlds uh, just because there's more at stake than just Link's experience personally, right? We're talking more about the redemption of an entire, an entire kingdom. kingdom, right? Sure. And I think the this is the only game I can think of outside of Twilight Princess where we get Zelda as functioning ruler of the kingdom and you get to see her doing ruler things and i like that aspect and i wish we saw more of it i wish we got more of princess zelda in her ruler prime in uh twilight princess instead of princess zelda captive hostage of a hostile force and um you know i i i want to see princess zelda be the good and gracious ruler that she's always talked about being in the game i agree with that i really do i I don't think there's too much more to say here really i am looking this is one of the reasons actually that i'm very much looking forward to both phantom hourglass and spirit tracks because i'm led to believe that zelda as a character has a decent amount to do in both those games that should be a fun time let's talk about hilda i think again Mm. exact same conversation we were just having with lincoln rabio right everywhere that zelda kind of falls behind in terms of characterization hilda comes up to fill those gaps and to do something just a little bit more interesting with a, with a few more layers i think that hilda is a, a fantastic character we said this last week um i think that what they managed to do in so ter- sorry it's okay i think it, it what just what they managed to do in terms of establishing tension as we've said right but also motivations backstory like Making a fully fleshed out character in this world, I think that Hilda is a a rousing success on all fronts. I think Hilda is the strongest character in this entire game, bar none. I think that her arc from a sympathetic monarch of a falling kingdom who, like, basically her advisor went rogue and started all this havoc and is like trying to help you. She's super sympathetic at the front to seeing all of her interstitials with Zelda talking about the fallen nature of her kingdom and her sorrow for that and her hope for Link to succeed following into the betrayal really that she has and then her redemption. Like the, the arc is just like all over the place and it's interesting all the way through. And I think she's a very compelling character. And I think that she was well-written and I really think that without Hilda, this game doesn't work. And and, and culminating with a completely sincere uh, feeling of, of gratitude 
on the part of that character, right? Absolutely. Like, and she, she doesn't take any of it for granted. And she, she doesn't expect that this is going, that the good outcome is going to happen if she does the right thing. She does the right thing for the right thing's sake, fully believing that it will doom her kingdom to a slow decline into utter collapse. But she does it anyway because it's the right thing to do. And so her redemption arc is really really well written and uh i just loved well it it had, it had to be so well written because they did that with honestly minimal dialogue toward the very end plus i at least i was picking up i think they did a great job on the limited animation they had on facial expressions and her her whole process of going through that um i want the triforce i'm going to save my kingdom screw you link to kind of her resignation of, well, my kingdom is gone, but this is what's right. You could see that on her face, which I thought was pretty awesome. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I I totally agree. The facial animators really did a great job with what they had here. And, um, which wasn't much. Yeah, exactly. But they did it well and in a way that moved me and it's hard to do on a top down platform like the 3ds having had a week to think about the comment that i made in last week's episode i'm going to double down on my observation that hilda belongs in the same conversation as skull kid right um those sorts of characters that we get in zelda games i think that she's she's very much in step with all of them um and I think that that's wonderful. I love when Zelda does that. I love when we get something that breaks out of the you are a good guy or a bad guy yeah. mold, you know? When we start playing with the shades of gray, um, all 50 of them, it's a really fun time. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, that was, the opportunity was there and I had to just throw that in there. But totally seriously, I, I do think that the the grayness and the, the moral ambiguity of Hilda as a character is what makes the plot the entire plot of this game good mike would you agree with me that hilda is the character on which this entire game succeeds yes i I think she's kind of the uh uh, i don't i'm blanking on the name right now the linchpin the linchpin yeah you know the 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 linchpin that this all kind of hinges on because without her dynamic and that trust and betrayal i feel like you'd be so much less emotionally involved in Mm -hmm. this um, if she'd have been a bad monarch from the beginning and you just knew she was working against you, I would have been like, okay, cool. At the very end, you came back to the light. Oh, Darth Vader, sure. But uh, I think she was a much more compelling character than what I expected. Mm-hmm. And I think it was probably a very, I think it was a very smart and very, um, I don't know, in some ways risky choice to go that direction because I think the easier version of this would have been to just take what we were talking about earlier. You've got our three heroes, our three main people, and then we've got the evil opposites of them. Right. Right. And I think it would have been so easy to just lean into that, right? Like we've got bad Link, bad Zelda, and then I guess Yuga's bad, Gans bad, whatever. But like it, it would have been easy to simplify this down so much further than it was. And mm-hmm. I'm, I'm very happy that that was not what happened because it led to such a, a satisfying final product. Agreed. Yeah, that's one thing where, and especially with what Max Nichols is doing and his, you know, collecting of the interviews and stuff, I would be so interested to hear from the developers of this game, like how did they workshop this particular kind of story arc and ending? Like, what were the other ones that were planned? Was there anything they almost went with over this? Because I feel like it'd be really fun to hear how they landed on this versus that easier kind of one they could have gone with. Yeah, 
And I just feel like that'd be a fun story to hear from the developers. For sure. Totally agree. Max, if you have an interview about any of that, let us know. We'll read it. We love Max's interviews. He's we a, do. Uh, he's a gem. Um, I feel like this is a very good time to just kind of go ahead and shoop on into the whole Ganon Yuga discussion. I mean, this is this is a weird one, right? Because um, we don't really we don't know much. You know, all we really know about Yuga as a character is that he wants to uh, subvert Hilda's goals and claim our Triforce for himself to remake both low rule and high rule in his Which own is image. Which the exact same thing that Ganon, Ganon wants. always wants. And I think you could even make the argument that those two characters, once they merge, are, are the same, are the same and are thinking along the same lines. So it's, you know, it's just really... And I'm I'm it, even going to take it I'm sorry I'm going to take it one step further and say that the whole time Yuga is gathering his paintings he's saying her royal highness will appreciate this. He's like obviously doing it for Hilda until he merges with Ganon and then from that point on he is then serving himself. Like to me that's how I'm reading the character maybe I'm wrong but I'm reading the character as once he fused with Ganon he thought he could subvert Ganon to his own power being a powerful sorcerer himself but didn't and Ganon kind of used that and retook power through Yuga so that's how I'm reading that maybe I'm wrong I don't think there's anything that happens in the game that can disprove that I think that's a totally valid read on all of these events I I myself kind of get more of the impression that it's a bit of a sarcastic thing when he's talking about, you know, her highness and all that. Um, I veer a little bit more on the side of Yuga was always thinking about doing this, but maybe I'm just kind of prejudiced by, you know, our knowledge of Ganon and the way that he operates. Uh, I, I don't think there's much there that could kind of tip you one way or the other. And I think that's kind of a failing, Right. I think that where this game really does not stand up to scrutiny is in its treatment of what is ostensibly the main villain. Yeah. Again, now we're back to, well, really, it, it was Hilda. Right. You know? And the the treatment of Yuga and Ganon together after you get into low rule, because Yuga is really the is, I think, a decently written villain for whatever you want to say about him in the first third of the game when he's terrorizing Hyrule. But as soon as you get into low rule and Yuga Ganon is put into chains by Hilda, he's just like not a thing anymore. And uh, that is just I, I struggle to figure out why Zelda has a hard time with the prevalent antagonist being prevalent like why why isn't he more present in the story he's always just like in the shadows in the background until the very very end and then he's there and i think that's how he should operate so i mean he is one man or man pig if you will Mm. um i will so but you've got he has to operate through all his cronies let you do the dungeons if he was powerful enough why wouldn't he just come fight link right at the beginning of the game and take Link out because you don't you have your green tunic, mm-hmm. your maybe not even master sword yet. Honestly, if he wanted to, he could just come and punk you. Yeah. So I, I'm gonna disagree with you on literally this is something that is very, very recent in my own gaming experience. And that is and I'm gonna do this with as minimal plot spoilers as I can for Jedi Survivor. Oh, the, okay. the the main antagonist of Jedi Survivor, at least so far to where I'm at, is very prevalent throughout the game and you interact with them 
on a couple different occasions. And you do so in a way that doesn't deflate their power or their importance, but furthers their sinister intentions. And like, I think that you can do that. Um, I think it's hard. It's, it's probably way harder than I'm giving it credit for. I'm not a writer. I'm not a storyboard artist. Like I'm, I'm none of those things, but I think there's a way. And I think Ocarina of Time actually did this the best for being, for Ganondorf being kind of prevalent throughout the story. And the fact that most Zelda games don't have that, uh, is kind of sad in some ways. Yeah, and so the games that do, where you fight the main antagonist a couple times throughout, and so like with Girahim, who I'm, mean, you know, main antagonist. Or yeah, not, he, but, he gets the he gets the Palpatine treatment. So yeah. you fight him a couple times throughout the game, and he's a little stronger each time. But he kind of says like, "Oh, I was just playing with you this time." Right. And so that that's one way to kind of do it. Mm-hmm. Um, but I just think with Yuga Ganon specifically to keep it with this game, I think that in order to to give you the leeway to do all the dungeons go find all the sages he kind of had to be in the background the way they wrote it um not to say there's another way they could have done that right but that's just the way it felt for me in this game i i think where i'm at with it is that in order for you in order for yuga ganon to come forward and be a more compelling character and a more driving force in the story overall that would have come at the expense of what we got with hilda so i don't want to say that i wish it had happened that way because i like what we got that doesn't uh that does not completely erase the fact that kind of what we have here is you know similar to how Hilda is yet another entry in like the skull kid um you know category of characters in Zelda games Yuga Ganon kind of goes on the pile with Girahim and Zant as characters who start very compelling yeah and have very interesting personalities and characterization and things that we'd never seen in a Zelda game before right uh, and then by the end of the game, just kind of get shooped off to the side they and take a back seat. And, and at the end of the day, our secondary characters. Yeah. Uh, agreed. And I, yeah, have mixed feelings about that. Like, yeah, yeah, is my final verdict on that. Good. We got it in writing. Y'all. <laughs> um, no, I, yeah, I, I it's fine. Right. It's fine. At the end of the day, it just turns into a fun boss fight is is basically all that it's doing for us. And it was a fun boss fight. I did really enjoy the Yuga Ganon two-face boss yeah. fight. Yeah. But I would say that we have more we have more <laughs> we have more successful iterations of Ganon as a character, and we have more successful new enemies that are not Ganon than Yuga. Totally agree on that. Yes. Okay. Very last thing uh before we get out of the plot section. I would just like to have a conversation real quick about the Triforce lore of this game. Yes. And just say that I really appreciate the extra layers that we get here. I think that, as we said last week, I love stories where the Triforce is more of a driving, involved element. I think that this is another example of that. I think it's very successful and is one of the things that makes the ending of the game so emotionally impactful. Um, The Triforce is, in some ways, the ultimate MacGuffin, right? And... uh, it, you know, sometimes that's done successfully and other times it's not. I think it's done most successfully when it serves to shine a light on the personalities of our heroes via the wishes that they make on it and the context in which those happen. And I think that this is a successful entry in that kind of canon of of Triforce stories. That's all I've got on it. 
I think that ties up our discussion on the plot overall. Mike, would you say that it's it's fair to say that this was a satisfying and fulfilling story in the Zelda canon overall? Definitely one that didn't disappoint. Color me satisfied. Love to hear it. Let's move on to part two, which is going to be our discussion about the best dungeon in this game and also dungeons just generally speaking. Um, let's go around the horn real quick and everyone just give a quick and easy answer about at the end of the day what your favorite dungeon was in this game. Mike, I'm going to go to you first. Can I actually go last? Because I'm trying to remember my favorite dungeon. Okay, Matt, I'm going to put it to you first. Dark Palace. Yeah, I also have to go with Dark Palace. Um, I'll get into that more here in just a minute. Mike, I think you probably wanted a little bit more time to, to think <laughs> than we gave you. But. Uh, well, yeah, that was not a lot of time. Thanks, gentlemen. You're welcome. Um, so... Uh, because of just recency bias, I will say I also thoroughly enjoyed Dark Palace. It was the last dungeon I played, which I think was also a strong point of this game that you could do the dungeons in pretty much any order due to the items being got early or received early. Um, purchased. Purchased. Rented. However, you get them from Ravio, the pawn shop owner that he is over there. Um, but... There were several dungeons that I thought were kind of high points. I also enjoyed the Lost Woods. Um, it wasn't my favorite of the, but I, I thought it was fun. You mean Skullwoods? Skullwoods, which is where I got lost. But yes, <laughs> um, <laughs> um, I would say I also really enjoyed Turtle Rock. I think that's valid. I think so. See, here's the thing. I, I agree with you. Uh Dark Palace, I think, was a high point for all of us. All the things we said in that episode, the inversion of mechanics, you know, needing to put out the lights instead of have everything lit all the time. That was just such kind of an ingenious thing, and we don't need to go on about it too much. Turtle Rock, I would agree, is also uh, was a very strong dungeon. And um, at the end of the day, I think that Dark Palace, Sand Palace, uh, excuse me, Dark Palace, Desert Palace, Turtle Rock, and somewhat the ice ruins all were a great time and, and I enjoyed them all pretty thoroughly. I think what I really want to talk about here is how we felt about dungeons as a thing in this game. What are our final thoughts? Obviously Matt and I have talked a lot in all of our episodes about the feeling of at the end of every dungeon, you know, us kind of thinking that it felt more like two thirds of a dungeon of what we would have gotten in another Zelda game. Right. And, um, I don't think anything really happened in this game that knocked me out of that opinion as we got towards the end of it. I think dark palace, if anything is the outlier and the final dungeon in low rule castle was challenging and fun in a lot of ways as well, but that's also a final dungeon, right? It doesn't necessarily enter into the conversation in the same way. Um, I, I think my final verdict is that if this game does have a major weak point, and it's crazy to say this because these dungeons were fun. They were good times. Like, I I did not have a bad time in any dungeon in this game. But we're talking about a game series that has got such high highs, such peaks in both 3D and top-down Zelda games. And I really feel like the dungeon design was an area where I felt left a little cold by this game. And that's disappointing for me to say it, it just, it, it, the, the brevity of these experiences at the end of the day really did kind of get to me. And I know that we've said, maybe that's just down to the way that Matt and I were playing it. And so I, I want to bounce it to you shell to get your opinion, because 
I know that um, you did play in more condensed chunks than we did. You know, you went multiple dungeons in a sitting several times. So I'm sure your opinion is just a little bit different. Uh, it is different. I would say that I thoroughly enjoyed the dungeons in this game. I, When thinking about my favorite dungeon, I kind of had a hard time because I remember it's hard because it's been a while since I played some of them. I had about a three or four week hiatus between my first half of playing through and then finishing it up. Um, but I remember several dungeons where I thought, oh, this was really cool. Or, hey, I want to talk about this because I really like this in a dungeon. I think that the dungeons were good. More pocket or bite-sized dungeons, though. Um, but playing a couple in a row or playing a good chunk of open world and then thinking, Hey, I've got maybe just enough time to go knock out a dungeon before I got to put this up and then getting to that dungeon, being able to run through it and beat that boss right kind of in the nick of time to be able to put it down. I felt very satisfied with my gameplay experience. Um, I think that the, the only kind of sidetrack to me on the dungeons was the having the, uh, you have the midway through each dungeon where you're supposed to fight like a mini boss. Several of those mini bosses to me kind of felt lackluster because normally on a, on most Zeldas, you fight that mini boss, you get the dungeon item after that. And you have more of a sense of, I just accomplished something. I got the item. Now I'm excited to fulfill the rest of the dungeon. Um, this already having the item, you kind of miss that high of having a midpoint through a dungeon it felt like there was really no midpoint. I, I think that is maybe one of the things that's contributing to this the most. I mean, I think that even in a dungeon that has the exact same number of rooms and encounters and keys or whatever else, uh, having that midpoint in which you you uh, very uh, apparently transition from the intro to the back half, not having that really does create a weird... Uh, a weird dissonance of, of flow. You don't want to use the butane. Burns too hot. Yeah, I, I think you're totally right, Lyndon. Um, and it's something we talked a lot about. And um, while it's one of those damned if you do, damned if you don't moments, right, where we've talked about how getting all the items up front is great for the exploration, but then that takes, that detracts from the dungeon experience. Um and I, we did acknowledge this a couple episodes ago where, you know, the way that we are playing this for the podcast week to week, section by section is probably detracting overall from the dungeon experience. And the fact that we're in our ninth game and this is only the second of nine that actually has been adversely affected by our uh, format, I think speaks to the general success of the format but um you know i'm trying well, also wind waker uh wind waker took some hits in this category in different ways absolutely yeah and so i think that um in general while when i'm trying to think about how much did i enjoy the game overall where is it gonna rank i'm trying to put that aside and i'm trying to stitched together in my memory how did i feel between these two separate sections and how would they feel just a little bit different if i played them at the same time and specifically i'm thinking of the week where we thought we were going to have to record back to back and i did two dungeons in one sitting and i still came away from the experience of doing two dungeons plus overworld exploration each dungeon still felt like it was two-thirds of a dungeon 
And so I, I think that while I can acknowledge that overall the week to week nature did adversely impact us, uh, just from a, how much time am I investing in this game? Is it too bite-sized? There is still the aspect of, I think most of the dungeons, Dark Palace and Sand Palace or Desert Palace being exceptions to this rule, in my opinion, um, are just too short. And one thing we talked about was never taking the dungeon mechanic to the the final level. It never got past intermediate. It stayed in beginner and intermediate, and it never took the dungeon mechanic into the final level of advanced yeah. puzzle solving. You know, so, and I think that that is true regardless of how you play this game. The, the flip side of this conversation is that there were no duds, which is an impressive accomplishment in and of itself. True. I think even in a lot of other Zelda games that we played, Wind Waker most recently there were duds. There were some that that were not good. We're just not vibing with, right? Yeah. Um. Some of the some of the best Zelda games of all time that we've played had dungeons that we just were not feeling, and I can't say that that was true for this game. So I feel like we've been, as time has gone on, very critical of the way that this game handles dungeons, and I stand by that. But I don't want it to go unacknowledged that. Um, there is still a very high level of quality overall. If you look at the game as a whole and the dungeon design and how fun it is and how well they're constructed, I think it is well done. I think what we're talking about is the difference between an like an A tier and an S tier. And this is a game without I would say I would say there's maybe one S tier dungeon in this game, but everything else is an A. I would say that the, it does venture into B tier category occasionally, but it definitely doesn't go into C or D tier category for sure. So, yeah, I, I mean, I have to agree with you that there are no duds. Would you agree, Mike, that there's like a like an a, on average high level of quality, nothing that's like transcendent? Uh, no, I, I think that you're right. There was nothing that blew my mind away of like, oh my gosh, this is the pinnacle of Zelda. Uh, I think there were a couple gold tier, maybe some black tier dungeons in here. Um, I don't know the rating system, <laughs> but S is highest, A is second highest, and then it's B, C, D, F. I stick by my gold and black uh, tiers. Is, is black higher than gold? Which is better? I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> so it's not so much of a ranking system as it is just a word. Yes. Okay. Uh, no, I I would say that um, of of all the 2Ds that we've played, I would say there's probably one, maybe two S tiers in here for me. And the rest, I would say, are probably A or high B. Okay, that's fair. And I'm actually going to amend my statement. I think thinking back to Skull Woods in particular, some of the issues I have with that dungeon, I would put that more in, in the high B range. Um, but, uh, you know, over maybe House of Gales as well. Overall, very high level of quality. I do think that this level of experimentation, like breaking out of the traditional formula of what happens in a top-down Zelda dungeon, is commendable. And I'm very happy that it's something that it happened. Uh Going forward, and again, the elephant in the room is, are we ever getting more top-down Zelda games? I don't know. I want them. If we do, I would hope that they do something similar, just a little longer, you know? Just a little bit more meat on the bone. That's all that I'm looking for. Does anybody have anything else they want to add in the dungeon section? Because this has been a topic that's pretty 
been pretty thoroughly canvassed. Yeah, I think the only thing I have to add is that I think this was probably the the best. Obviously, we ranked it last week the best final dungeon. Like they really knocked it out of the park with Lovrule Castle. So I think that's the only thing I'd have to add. And then I totally agree with everything else you said. Yeah, I'm right there with you. I think that y'all did a pretty good job on the episodes of hashing out each dungeon, uh, how it stacked up, what you felt about it. So nothing out of left field for me. Um, I, I concur with most of the assessments, um, but I do think that it was overall a very positive experience. And I liked the brevity in some ways, being able to sit down and in one sitting of an hour or maybe two hours, knock out two dungeons was really nice. Well, for a 30 something with kids, I mean, you and I are in a a similar place here, right? Where I appreciate, I appreciate that much more than I used to. Um, And that, that has to be incorporated as well. Like the, the, the perspectives and the time constraints of the individual player is something that we have to take into account. And I can see where a lot of people would kind of prefer something that's just a little bit shorter. Um, just for the the member, the reviewing members who are on tonight, uh, I think there's maybe just a little bit extra room to grow. But, uh, you know, definitely, definitely too hard to to knock it too much, I think, is where we're at with it. Let's move on to part three, which is the best item. And this is one area where I'm actually I'm excited to talk about this because more so than a lot of other top down Zelda games, I think that this one has maybe the most fleshed out and best feeling roster of items that we've encountered so far. And I think that comes from being able to use them for the entire game instead of just getting like one rando, very powerful item at the very last dungeon and never using it again. So another benefit of the having all items available to you very early in the game is you feel more attached to the items. You get a better feel for them and you can utilize them to their fullest potential. And I think that you get attached more whenever you upgrade too. I I felt very excited to be able to upgrade items. And I always like that mechanic in games. I, I hate when stuff's expendable and falls apart, but I like being able to either collect a certain number of, you know, bugs or pieces of wood and upgrade my item. Um, or in this case, pay for it (laughs) but i really like that mechanic so i think the items were strong but exactly what you said matt some of the items that i've always been most interested in you get the last dungeon or two i mean fire rod and Link's awakening right exactly Exactly. um and so i'm gonna jump in real quick and just say my favorite item was the fire rod Mm, especially Um, the upgraded fire rod i set so many dudes on fire um it was just a really good time being able to use that to clear rooms easy um, I found a lot of uses for it. It had some range. It was really no better in some ways than like the bow, but I also enjoy fire. <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, obviously <laughs> there's definitely that aspect it's, to it. Yeah, no, it's, there's, there's an instant gratification that is associated with casting a tornado of flame that I think is really hard to dismiss. The fire rod, the upgraded version specifically is also my favorite item in the game. I thought it was a really, really great time. Uh, that thing carried me all the way through the advanced version of the tower of treachery. Um, it's seriously like with the exception of maybe the tornado rod, it's, it's such a great item in there and it's so fun to use. Um, no, I, I agree with you, Matt. I think that one area where this game really does shine is the ability to just have these things and to use them whenever you want. I think that that's a great boon for this game. Um, even aside from the fire rod, I mean, tornado rod is great. The the bow and arrow in this game is great. And I, seriously, you you cannot convince me that it's not 
the most fun to get the bow and arrow early in Zelda games. No, for sure. I, I we're just going to give the fire rod, the triple crown because it's the best item. Um, but I, I really, I used the bow so much more until you convinced me of the, uh, attri- the uh, accolades of the fire rod. And once you did, I started using the fire rod and I barely used the bow after that because I was just like fire, 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 <laughs> yeah, fire on repeat, especially after you, after you get the upgraded magic meter, which I'm a little upset that I saved ice palace till toward the end, because if I would have had the upgraded magic meter earlier, I just would have been fire boy. Um, but let's go around real quick. You'd have been like Charmandering everybody. Charmander. No, I'm Charizard. B. Fair enough. Uh, but let's go around. What was your two item carry for most of the game? Matt, we'll start with you. So the first half of the game, I was bow and upgraded hammer because the upgraded hammer uh, does stop. I know you're giving me the face. Upgraded hammer stuns enemies as much as the tornado rod. And when it's upgraded, it's in basically the same area of effect. But it also does damage if you hit somebody with it, which is really cool. However, however, uh, when I got to advanced tier Tower of Terror, uh, that was no longer working for me. So I switched to upgraded tornado rod and upgraded fire rod and never went back because holy cow, that is OP. Yeah, I would say that for the for the most, like for the lion's share of the game, it was bow and bombs were my two items. And then as soon as I got the upgraded fire rod, uh, that took the bows place. I wanted one ranged attack and then bombs are just such a I mean you've got to have the bombs on you know on demand in these sorts of games and this one's no different. Um but again that does not translate at all to the Tower of Treachery which is again like the most distilled possible version of combat in this game. Like that's the area where it really gives you room to play with everything. And yes, Tornado Rod and Fire Rod is unbeatable in the Tower of Treachery. Mike so I will say for most of the game that it was the fire rod and bombs for me too. just the utility of bombs and uh, that one enemy you only fight a couple times where they mirror your movements. Mm, yep. My go to for that is plant a bomb and then run forward and force them to go near my bomb. Mm-hmm. And that, that was my method. Um, That's a good one. I mostly used the hammer to stun them and then ran up behind them and slashed them. I was going to say so for me the hammer Matt. I asked Lyndon very early on, probably probably F1 day, where mm-hmm. I first got the console and started playing it. I asked him, hey, when I go to Mother Mai Mai over here, um, she of the many babies. Many, many babies. <laughs> yes. Uh, what should I upgrade first and last? And he said, oh, the hammer's trash. And so slander so i upgraded the hammer very last and i never used it other than just the utility of knocking things down when you needed them and now it sounds like i maybe should have hammered a little bit more i liked the hammer i thought it was great i I didn't hammer i I also did not use the tornado rod almost ever other than when it was necessarily required Hmm, i will say that my my initial judgment has been shifted slightly I do now think that the boomerang is probably the most useless upgrade in this entire game. Um, I use the boomerang not a single time at all, and I don't think I was missing it. The hookshot is probably next behind that. But again, this sort of depends on just like when you are when you're able to buy and upgrade things. All right, get get it off of that June buggy. You know, if you flick that at me, I'm going to murder you. <laughs> <laughs> Where'd it go? Oh. That was terrible. So the highlight of my night is watching a shirtless Matt flail at a June bug. <laughs> <laughs> I think we all enjoyed that. 
Oh, that was terrifying. I saw my life flash before my eyes. <laughs> oh, they're gross cockroaches of the sky. No, I, so I think this all depends somewhat too on how frequently you have upgrades available and in what order you're doing dungeons, right? So I would not say that the hookshot is a necessary early upgrade at all unless you have the resources to do it before you go into Swamp Palace. And then it's really helpful. Same goes for the sand rod. Uh, so I, I did upgrade and use the hookshot actually a good amount. Um, kind of my go-to sword move whenever I just wanted to take people melee combat-wise was hookshot them, stun them, and then run up and sword them. I also did a fair amount of pulling the, sh- the shields off the shield enemies with the hookshot. Wait, it does that? Yeah. Oh, yeah. that's cool. I didn't got know a that. Shield, you hookshot it off. I always them. just stunned them and then hit them. Yeah, but, so there's, there's more than one way to skin a bokoblin, apparently. There you go. And then wear their pelt. But uh, anyway. <laughs> Gross. <laughs> Uh, but yeah, so I think the the breadth of use of the items in this game and the ability for all of us to to find kind of different niches for things speaks well of the item use, but Fire Rod be the best. I will say, I- last point on this topic, as much as I love the fact that item upgrading is a thing in this game, and I really do love it, it's awesome, it, it adds an extra level of investment in your collecting of these items, it's great, it still does not unseat skyward sword as the best implementation of upgrading items in a zelda game amen and your whole roster of items you know shields your main key items like uh, you know and tying that into like an upgrade economy and everything i know it's it's not apples to apples because they're very different kinds of games and resource collecting isn't really a thing that happens here but uh still i you know this was very successful i feel like skyward sword is still the gold standard to beat the Skyward Sword is the gold standard in many areas. Okay, well, you're oversimplifying. <laughs> <laughs> but no, agreed in this very specific instance. Totally agree. All right. Let's move on to part four, which is best music. Let's go around the table real quick. Matt, I'm going to start with you. What was your favorite musical piece in this entire game? <sighs> uh, low rule theme. Once you collect all the sages, and it's that more triumphant style of low rule theme. Excellent. That's mine as well. Yeah, it's great. I mean, it's just the Dark World theme from A Link to the Past, but that's one of my favorite pieces of Zelda music of all time. And it's not one that pops up in any other games aside from just these two. Like, for how famous it is and for how much people love it, we just don't stumble across it all that often. So I love seeing it here, and I do think that that is the best possible version of it mike how about yourself i also very much enjoyed both the the low rule standard theme and the triumphant theme um i will say that there were i wish i could remember which dungeons it were it was uh but there were two dungeons that i remember thinking oh man i'm vibing with this music as i go through the dungeon but it's been so long they must have been a little bit earlier i can't remember which ones they were i also committed the probable heresy of uh not having headphones for a certain amount of this game and playing it in bed by my wife as she slumbered. So you cannot have your volume on. So no. I, uh, I played silent for a portion of this game, which I know is, uh, not so, heretical at all. It so, is so necessary, but yes, I, I did it out of necessity and I apologize profusely. You're fine. <laughs> your apologies are not necessary. Low rule theme. It is. Let's move on to part five, which is best bloopy trail. I'm going to go first here and just say, yes, my Mai's are fantastic. I think they're a wonderful addition to this game. Um, we've said this before. I think they're the best possible version of the gold sculptula, 
you know, line of thought on collectible extra items, right? I think they're better than gratitude crystals too. Sure, yeah. My Mai Mai's are great. The Tower of Treachery is just awesome. Treachery. So I think the Tower of Terror is the best Ploopy Trail as well. Combat arenas always win it for me. Um, and this game specifically has really, really good combat. And I think a lot of that comes from it being at a higher frames per second than most other Zelda games. This this game is base 30 FPS and can sometimes go above that. And what we learned via Discord uh, actually just a couple of days ago was that that decision was made to reduce any motion sickness that could come from the 3D nature of the game. So um, it benefiting directly from the engine that it's running on so the the combat in this game alone is just very smooth very good um probably one of the strongest points of the game outside of the plot is its combat um and getting that distilled into a a dungeon gauntlet like uh tower of terror is i think um just bar none the best blue betrayal yeah, absolutely. Mike, I have not actually had a chance to catch up with you in terms of whether or not you managed to get into the advanced version of the Tower of Treachery. I did not. Um, the job has recently required quite a lot of my overtime. And so um, I was able to get 93 my mice. I did the easy version of the Tower of Treachery. I never got the dang cuckoos thing um, because apparently I'm just trash at it. And uh, then <laughs> I know. Oh, hey. Yeah, I never got the heart piece from the Coco run. Either. I did. Really? Yeah. A hundred seconds. I did. Nice. My my best was like 52 seconds. And I was like, you know what? I don't even care. I don't need these hearts. Um, I will let it be said, too, that I beat the game with only the blue male and the red sword. Um, I apparently was not observant enough as a detective to get the upgrades. <laughs> <laughs> you just weren't invested enough. There you go. We'll go with that. Um, solving real crimes, not the Nintendo crimes. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, but yes, I, I finished it with blue mail and the red sword. I still never died. I used one fairy the whole time. So maybe the game was a little easy. Um, or maybe I'm just really good. <laughs> we have made observations along the lines that you're speaking right now, which is that, yeah, the game probably could have been just a little harder. Or maybe we're just all really good. Or that. Or that. Um, but yeah, no, I uh, I thought the combat was really good. Um, but yeah, I uh, as far as the the bloopy trails, I did not finish a couple of those. I did plenty of the ones that you run into throughout the game um, that I felt like there was lots to do side quest wise. I'm going to count the golden bee because I tried way too freaking long to do that. I did get the golden bee on my second try. I didn't chop it up. Um. And then there was just a lot of kind of stuff going on in the world. Maybe not as much as some Zelda games, but with the frequency of dungeons, I felt like it was well played. Fair enough. Yeah, that's fair. I think the Golden Bee is totally a a completely valid addition to the Blue Trail thing. We haven't talked about it all that much. So, uh, yeah, very good. Um, Tower of Treachery, definitely for me. I think that this game is, you know, it's got some it's got some fun stuff from a Blue Trail standpoint. Um, I don't think it really had any character side quests that really resonated with me too much. And usually I would excuse that in a top down game, but then you have Link's Awakening, right? So it's been done before. It's possible to do it again. Um, you know, that's not a huge knock. It's just, it's something that I could have done with just a little bit more of, but yes, this is, this is definitely the my, my game more than anything else. You know? Yeah, for sure. Cool. All right. Well, it's the main event y'all. 
This is part six. <sighs> the part where we have tried to talk ourselves into where it's going to rank over the course of this recap episode, and now I'm more confused than I was when we started. <laughs> part six is our final thoughts and ranking, where we rank this game against every other game that we've played up until this point, and then discuss our reasons for doing so. So y'all know how this works. I'm going to read off the current ranking, and then we're going to do a raising of hands. We'll see where it stacks up against the other things that we've played, and then we're going to hash it out via friendly discussion. Let's see. Where's my where's my list? There's too much friendly discussion on this podcast. I think we should have a heated argument. I think Wind Waker is probably the closest we were ever going to get to that. And it wasn't even that. <laughs> <laughs> hey, if you want to throw down, I'm... Well, actually, I don't know. It's late, man. I don't know Wait, if I have Wait, are we throwing energy, down? No. I'm super down. Uh, I don't want to throw down with you. I like our friendship. I do too, but we can still throw down. Tell you what. See, Mike and I are of the opinion that you can throw down without ruining a friendship. Yes. So. I will even allow you and Matt to throw down against me. I don't like my odds there. <laughs> I like your odds. I Do you? I'm just trying to get you to do it. <laughs> <laughs> Mike just wants to fight, ass. All right. The ranking as it currently stands, ladies and gentlemen, is as follows. Number eight, The Adventure of Link. Number seven, The Legend of Zelda. Number six, A Link to the Past. Number five, Link's Awakening. Number four, The Wind Waker. Number three, Skyward Sword. Number two, Ocarina of Time. And number one, the reigning champion, The Legend of Zelda, Breath of the Wild. So here's how we're going to do it, y'all. Everyone raise your hand. And if you do not feel like A Link Between Worlds is better than the game I read off, you drop your hand. Sound good? I'm on board. Is A Link Between Worlds better than The Adventure of Link? Yeesh. Hands are all still up. No surprises there. Is A Link Between Worlds better than The Legend of Zelda? Yeesh. Yep. Is, here, here's where it, here's where it really, here's where the rubber meets the road. Is A Link Between Worlds better than A Link to the Past? Everybody's hands are still up. Bear with us, y'all. Is A Link Between Worlds better than Link's Awakening? Y'all did not just bump Link's Awakening out of the top. No, hold on. I got to think about that. Matt is, Matt's on the cusp. All right, there it stands. The new ranking for Sacred Realms, a Zelda retrospective podcast, is as follows. Number one is Breath of the Wild. Number two is Ocarina of Time. Number three is Skyward Sword. Number four is The Wind Waker. Number five is Link's Awakening. Number six is A Link Between Worlds. No, sorry. Yes, number yes. six is A Link Between Worlds. Number yep. seven is A Link to the Past. Number eight is The Legend of Zelda. Number nine is The Adventure of Link. Matt, you need to clue us in on sure. what just happened in your mind. Yeah, right so uh, what really brought it down for me, and I, I think was that... Detective makers vote. <laughs> <laughs> no, what, and you and I are normally on the same page, and I think up until now, you and I have agreed on the ranking of every game. Um, so... Where where this falls off for me is the dungeons. And I think a link a Link's Awakening has better overall dungeons, a better overall dungeon experience. With having a similarly effective story. Yes. 
I would say that a link between worlds story is actually better. It was more emotionally moving to me. It was the characters were more real because they were actually real. They weren't dream facsimiles. Um, like all of these things, that's why it was hard is because I, as much as I prize story, um, Zelda is a dungeon and exploration game. Um, and I think Link's Awakening had a better um, slew of dungeons for me. Um, and I didn't leave many of Link's Awakening's dungeons going. I wanted more of that dungeon. I left three quarters of Link Between Worlds dungeons going. I wanted more of that. So, um, yeah, that that's really what what it boiled down to for me. And as much as I've sung the praises of A Link Between Worlds for its story and its characterization and its combat, I, I just wanted more, and and I didn't get it. So for me, obviously, I have a lot of nostalgia wrapped up in Link's Awakening. Right, everyone knows that it was my first Zelda game. It is very near and dear to my heart. I agree with you, Matt. The dungeons to me are more satisfying in Link's Awakening. I prefer the story in Link's Awakening just a little bit, but but I will freely admit that that's an area where it's it's completely subjective. Like Link's Awakening is telling such a particular story and whether or not you find that as emotionally affecting as what happens in a Link Between Worlds, total toss up, right? Um that's that's completely down to personal preference even more so than yeah, obviously this is all subjective, but you know, um not going to knock anybody for feeling that one is more effective than the other. What it really comes down to for me is that Link's Awakening feels like a more confident, like unique, singular experience with with a with a unique voice right behind it. Um, similar to Majora's Mask, the, the, similar to the way that I think about Majora's Mask, Link's Awakening has always felt to me like a game where it was somebody telling a a singular unique story and it was unlike anything else in in the canon of zelda games so you just you're saying hilda's not unique <laughs> i think that a link between worlds has many storytelling wins that it can put in the in the w column for sure that's a nice comeback Lyndon. thank you very much but at the end of the day i think that a link between worlds for me when you put it up against link's awakening you have a few different elements that that just make it to where I, I can't rank it above that. One is definitely the brevity of dungeons and the fact that like I was not as satisfied by the dungeon roster as with Link's Awakening. But also the fact that it does rely so much on the DNA of A Link to the Past and thus is like at its core as much a remake as it is anything else. You know, that kind of factors into all to this calculus for me as well. Um, and I mean, I've played them, I've played them recently enough, both of them to where I feel like I can kind of accurately pit one against the other. It's not like it's been years since I played Link's Awakening and, um, yeah, I, I just think Link's Awakening is a game that is more of a, let's call it an artistic achievement. Whereas Link Between Worlds is a spectacular Zelda game. It is, a, it is maybe the most competently made Zelda game that I that I can think of, right? Um, but competency and excellence are two different conversations. Sure. And Link's Awakening dips more into the area of excellence for me. So 
I will say that I would have put uh, Link Between Worlds just above Link's Awakening, but still below Wind Waker. Mm-hmm. Um, it will be very hard for a 2D to knock off a 3D for me. Um, partially because even though I ranked Wind Waker lower than Skyward Sword, uh, I'm apparently sorry for that. Don't be sorry, Mike. I'm Live not. your truth. My, my apology is fake. Um, but... <laughs> Um, I would say that it would be very hard to bump off one of those, not only for my nostalgia for 3Ds, um, but just the the differences in 3Ds of what the storytelling usually entails and the characterization. But I do think that Link Between Worlds, although kind of a remake of uh, Link to the Past, did a lot of things better. The storyline was better. I think dungeons were better. Um, I think overall it really did an improvement. And though it used the same space, um, I I thought of it as a completely different game. I didn't necessarily think of it as a remake while playing. Um, I think that the beginning and end, kind of the bookends, as Matt had said, really kind of sealed it for me as being a fantastic game. I didn't have a bad time while playing it. Um, it's hard for me at this point to say that I enjoy a game enough to stay up late <laughs> playing it. And part of that was for the podcast, yes, because I, I care about you guys. But also, I was kind of in it at that point. I did the uh, the Dark Palace and the Low World Castle back to back, and I had a I had a perfectly good time playing them. So that is why I ranked them the way I did. Yeah, I think that's totally fair. And and look, I get. I mean, obviously, I had a hard time with the ranking, so I, I get why some people may rank this higher than we did, but. Um, I really do believe that this is just one of the most solid through and through Zelda games. And the only real height of excellent that excellence that it reaches is in the last five minutes. Um, and it's hard for me to put it above Link's Awakening for that reason. You know, I think the conversation everyone was expecting us to have was where does this stack up against a link to the past, Right. And I think that's the big controversy here. I don't know that a lot of people were expecting us to put this above Link's Awakening, right? Sure. But when you compare it directly to A Link to the Past, which is – that's the conversation you have to have just because of the structure of this game, right? A lot of people would say that A Link to the Past is superior to this game. And, you know, you can introduce nostalgia into that conversation for sure. I think that's valid. A lot of people, for them, A Link to the Past is Ocarina of Time what that is for us, right? I think that even though A Link to the Past has a more adventurous feeling overworld to me, A Link to the Past truly shines in a lot of ways. Art style is better, for instance. I think this game has a superior story. I think that it has a more consistently good roster of dungeons. Link to the Past has some excellent dungeons, but it's got a few duds. And Ice so, Palace. Yes. But even but actually, even past Ice Palace, there are some dungeons in A Link to the Past that are like clearly, and again, uh, this is the result of Nintendo still trying to determine what even is a Zelda dungeon. You have to remember, A Link to the Past is only the third game they ever made. And one of the games that preceded it didn't even have a dungeon formula the way that we you know uh, is for sure the adventure of link was probably not useful at all for these people in terms of like trying to advance that the identity of zelda yeah yeah so in some ways it's maybe a little bit of an unfair discussion but i i just i really think that as a whole package a link between worlds is 
more consistently strong than A Link to the Past for me. Is it as historically important? No. No. I, I can't think of as many games that would be considered as historically important as A Link to the Past, right? A Link to the Past and Ocarina of Time actually, I think, kind of share a similar distinction in that way. They're both groundbreaking games. And in some ways, this game isn't groundbreaking at all, right? I mean, mm-hmm. it's kind of it, it breaks some new ground in the Zelda series just in terms of the way that it handles item acquiring. But in the in the landscape of video games as a whole, no, it's not. It's not. And that does have to be taken into account, too. But but we're not talking about the history of video games here. We're talking about the history of Zelda. And I think the final product of A Link Between Worlds, for me, is more satisfying and a little stronger than A Link to the Past. What do you think, Matt? No, I, I, I totally agree. I, I, I love the way that you put that into the historical context of uh, Link to the Past trying to define what Zelda is and where it's going as a franchise. And it being so early gives it a, a disadvantage in exactly what we're doing here, right? And you have to give Link to the Past so many props for helping develop the, the formula of what Zelda is. But the formula of what Zelda is has grown to the point that it's outgrown that game in my opinion and that is a good thing that is what every game that is trying to define a franchise should aim for is to be a building block that other games uh exceed in the future and i think it's a failure if your first or second or third game in a franchise of 19 games is your best game like you should iterate in a positive way on those building blocks and a link to the past gave us those building blocks. And this is where we are now. And, you know, even further beyond. And I think it is, uh, it's not a, it's not a slight against a link to the past to say that it was not a fully developed 100% banger. And this is the same conversation that got us breath of the wild at number one and Ocarina of time at number two. Exactly. Like you have to make way for that. And link to the past did. And so, all kudos to everyone that made Link to the Past because without it, we wouldn't be here. But the games that we have now have surpassed Link to the Past, and that's only a good thing. Mike, you want to chip in here before we? Uh, yeah, I mean, I feel like you guys said most of it. I think that the predecessor, Link to the Past, was definitely a building block for Link Between Worlds, but you grow and expand on things, and the whole hope of that behind that is that people enjoy it more than the previous game. That's why you're making a new game. So I think that we're doing that. Um, I, that's why I, I feel like I ranked this game higher because I think it did things better based on what they learned from the previous game. Um, I'm happy with it and I'm ready to play more. Mike, this will now be, so in your ranking, this game would be your highest ranked top-down Zelda game. It twid, my lord. Twid. What would a top-down Zelda game need to do to exceed this for you? <sighs> That's hard. I feel like the the main points to, to pass this game up in the ranking, I would need some truly phenomenal dungeons mixed with a, what I would consider probably the best storyline of a 2D. Um, if there was a 2D that surpassed this far and wide... Uh, so what's right above this? We have Link's Awakening, and then we have Wind Waker. 
even even with the the Wind Waker Triforce quest, which really is just like the worst, um, I would say that it would need to be pretty phenomenal on story, like make me cry to beat a 3D. I, I agree completely. And that's I don't know if that's fair, but it's 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 how we feel like. Well, and now we're back to the conversation. Josh has said this in the Discord channel. It's going to be so hard for anything to bump anything out of our top five going forward with one notable exception, right? Like, yeah. like Majora's Mask is really our ringer yeah. of what could really throw so everything for Majora's a loop. Mask, give it Tears of the Kingdom. Sure. Uh, and then I'm really hoping that by the time we've played all of this, we may have gotten a remake or two maybe an original 2d game i'm really hoping that we get an original top down before we're all the way done because tears of the kingdom will be our last at least currently tears of the kingdom will be our last fully reviewed game and that will be all the way at the end like we're not even going to put that up for voting until we're done with everything else but i think that that fangirl made a good uh it's Sam, right? Sam. It's I, Sam. I just call her fangirl. It sounds cool. But, uh, <laughs> so I think that Sam made a good point last time. I, I, with no inside knowledge of Nintendo, I would have a hard time seeing them go back to 2D right now with the pure success of Breath of the Wild. It's going to be Tears of the Kingdom 2. But the ability to play that game on a handheld console, why would they need to go back to a 2D? At that point, it's just more of an intentional artistic decision, right? It's less about having your, it's less about having two platforms and you needing to develop games for both those platforms. It's more about saying, hey, the history of this series has got two types of games. How do we honor both of them? And I don't want to say that Nintendo isn't, I don't want to say they don't care about that discussion, right? Because they still make side-scrolling Marios and 3D Marios, Right. Um, or at least they have in the recent past. But I think right now, you're right, Mike, um, Breath of the Wild was such a phenomenal success on their main platform. Tears of the Kingdom is going to continue that tradition, I, I got to believe. The only thing that I think is kind of an extra layer to this discussion is the fact that they do have multiple studios under their umbrella that, I mean, they they have got a dedicated studio who's been remaking all of these games for handhelds, right? Grezzo has done the remakes of Ocarina, Majora, Link's Awakening. You know, Nintendo still has them in the portfolio, and we don't know what they're doing. So is it Oracle remakes, or is it a new game? Who knows? Mm -hmm. Well, y'all, I think that brings us to the end of another Sacred Realms recap. Hey, that's our ninth one. Eighth. Eighth. Sorry, eighth one. Eighth one. Yeah, fair Math enough. is hard. Math is hard. Well, no, we did nine because we did one for oh, each. Oh, you're right. We had, yeah. I am right. Be, it's, be an asshole. Apologize to me. <laughs> apologize. <laughs> I appreciate your struggle, Mike. <laughs> um, no, it's been a really fun time, y'all. Let's go ahead and wrap this thing up. I just want to say, as far as final thoughts go, look, A Link Between Worlds was a super fun game. We're firmly in the camp right now of this series is rad. It is so fun. These are some of the most fun experiences that you can have in games. And the like the, like the, our continued shtick where we're just talking about them on a weekly basis is a phenomenal time. And I appreciate it so much. I don't think I've ever had a bad time recording an episode of Sacred Realms. It's hard to have a bad time with friends. Oh, that was cute and cheesy 
I think that brings us to the end of the Sacred Realms recap, y'all. Let's go ahead and wrap this thing up. I, it, it feels a little bittersweet because I was so excited to get to this game, and now it's done. But it's hard to dwell on that for too long when we know that, again, in five days' time, we're playing Tears of the Kingdom, a brand new Zelda experience. It's going to be so much fun. Mike, thanks for joining us on the show tonight. Thanks for joining us on this season. Can't wait to catch back up with you in Phantom Hourglass, which notably is going to be, I think, the first time in the history of this podcast that all three of us go into a game on a level playing field, none of us having played any of it. I'm actually so excited for that. That'll be exciting. I am happy to be here and do that. Love it. Um, this is normally where I would uh, ask guests to uh, link us on their socials and everything, but you're just uh, you're an everyman shell. You're not. Yeah, on the- I, I got the yeah. Facebook, no Twitter, no Instagram, no nothing. Don't follow me. I love you guys. <laughs> <laughs> Don't follow me. Don't follow him. Mike, we love you, man. Love you guys, too. <laughs> All right, y'all. Matt, you ready? I'm ready. Let's let's close out our ninth game ninth game eighth season why are you because we combined the the combination of the two it threw everything off come on get it together i'm sorry let's close out our ninth game and then head in to tears of the kingdom i love it all right y'all if you enjoyed today's show and you would like a little extra sacred realms in your life you can head over to patreon.com slash sacred realms pod and become a patron if you've got no rupees it's not a problem five star apple podcast reviews are a great free way to support us more reviews means that more people see our show that makes us very happy hylians follow us on twitter and instagram at sacred realms pod for updates on the podcast and for behind the scenes action sacred realms will be back next wednesday with our first hands-on thoughts of the legend of zelda tears of the kingdom cannot freaking believe i'm saying that right now if you are not caught up with the show up until this point a link between worlds is playable on the nintendo 2ds and 3ds family of systems tears of the kingdom is playable on the nintendo switch get your pre-orders ready to go get that midnight load locked and ready the time is nigh but in the meantime may your hearts be full may your arrows never miss ladies and gentlemen we will catch y'all next week for a new game sacred realms is an independent podcast production which is produced edited and mixed by me lyndon willoughby our music comes from zelda and chill by mikkel and is graciously provided to us by mikkel and game chops records Zelda and Chill is available to stream on Spotify or to purchase directly from GameShops.com. Finally, our thanks go to Nintendo for creating such exceptional and innovative experiences. 